0: The St Paul's Cathedral Archive and Collections team organised a pop-up exhibit on royal celebrations focusing on George III's Thanksgiving in 1789, Queen Victoria's Diamond Jubilee in 1897 and Prince Charles and Lady Diana's wedding in 1981. We've chosen an object from each event to discuss in detail. George III's Thanksgiving George III was born on the 4th of June, 1738, and became king in 1760. George had suffered from bouts of chaotic and mad behaviour, which caused him to speak with manic gusto. He would have convulsions to the extent that his pages had to sit on him to keep him safe. Some historians believe that George suffered from a genetic blood disorder called porphyria, ...which causes aches, pains, madness and blue urine. This is a contentious issue as other historians believe it was not genetic... ...but more likely a mental health issue. They think the former diagnosis deflects from the stigma of mental health issues in the royal family. This was a crippling illness which caused George to withdraw from daily business and the public eye. However, miraculously his health improved which prompted a massive celebration. On the 23rd of April, 1789, St Paul's Cathedral was to hold the Thanksgiving celebrations for the recovery of George Third. Traditionally, Thanksgiving celebrations were for victories in war. However, due to the British defeat during the American War of Independence, the nation needed a lift. The celebration to the King's good health was a great reason for a party. Here is the floor plan of St. Paul's Cathedral on the day of the Thanksgiving. It shows the choir and where the guests were seated. It was made by Scottish architect Robert Mine, who was responsible for maintaining of the cathedral. On the left sat the princesses and their ladies, and to the right were the princes and their lords. It is said the Prince of Wales, George IV, and his brother, the Duke of York, munched biscuits during the service. This act of defiance was due to their difference of opinion surrounding their father's politics. George III was a Tory, whereas his sons were Whig sympathisers. Nevertheless, the service was a joyous affair and the cathedral was full to capacity. There was a full choir, which was accompanied by a charity school chorus with 5,000 children. George arrived at noon, and a rocket was fired from the statue of Queen Anne as a signal to the guns at the Tower of London to salute. The service lasted three hours, and was filled with the hundredth psalm and anthems written especially for the occasion. Sadly, after this wonderful thanksgiving, George III fell ill again, and in 1810 made the Prince of Wales his regent.
1: On the 28th of September, 1896, Queen Victoria surpassed her grandfather George III as the longest reigning monarch in English, Scottish, and British history. The Queen requested that celebrations be delayed so that they would coincide with her Diamond Jubilee the following year. On Tuesday, the twenty second of June, eighteen ninety seven, Jubilee Day came to be celebrated not just throughout Britain but across the globe. Queen Victoria herself was seventy-eight and suffering from arthritis, so the ceremony was chosen to be held at the foot of the west steps of St Paul's Cathedral rather than Westminster Abbey so that the Queen could remain in her carriage and would not need to climb the stairs. The procession from Buckingham Palace was six miles and 17 carriages long, with the British Army, the Royal Navy, colonial forces from Canada, India, Africa and the Antipodes, and representations of all the Empire nations. The route was crowded with people. All the 25,000 specially erected suits were filled. People were selling souvenirs, holding bunting, cheering and singing God Save the Queen. Queen Victoria is said to have been seen to wipe tears from her eyes at such a massive display of affection. This is an archival photograph from St Paul's Collections, which shows the west steps and entire west side of the cathedral. When Queen Victoria arrived at St Paul's, crowds were packed onto specially erected bleachers on the surrounding rooftops and on the specially erected seating at the top of the west steps. People even squeezed onto the spaces by the portico and held onto the railings. Every last inch of outdoor space of the west side of the cathedral was filled. The Jubilee had become a much more public affair due to its outdoor nature, for the first time the public were able to be involved in a royal service without the doors being closed to them. The west steps were crowded with every member of the St Paul's clergy, hundreds of bishops from around the world, the choir, the orchestra, the warders of the Tower of London, the Dean of St Paul's, the Bishop of London and the Archbishop of Canterbury. The steps were so packed that members of the choir were forced to stand on the massive pedestals that flanked the cathedral's entrance. The service was 20 minutes long, with a performance of a te Deum by a huge orchestra and choir, prayers, benediction, and the Old Hundredth. As the procession drove off, the Archbishop of Canterbury shouted, three cheers for the Queen. This archive photograph from the collections is a great representation of one of the most important royal occasions in St Paul's history. The Diamond Jubilee of 1897 confirmed a strong link in the public mind between St Paul's and the monarchy as symbols of national identity.
2: On the 29th of July, 1981, the Prince of Wales and Lady Diana Spencer got married at St Paul's Cathedral. The ceremony was the first royal wedding to be publicised on television and was broadcasted to 750 million people from all over the world. 600,000 people lined the streets to see Diana's procession from Clarence House and although the marriage itself sadly broke down, the memory of the event and the setting of St Paul's has proved lasting. The wedding was a global phenomenon that brought St Paul's Cathedral into the public spotlight, increasing visits, sales and donations, to such an extent that the cathedral donated £15,000 of the extra funds to local charities in thanks. As would be expected, the wedding was an opulent affair, with no expense spared, from the £9,000 dress to the 27 wedding cakes. Commemorative commissions followed in a similar fashion, which led to the creation of an official wedding goblet, In total, 1,000 were made, of which this is number 684. The goblet is full of symbolic elements that work together to present a fusion of the two families in commemoration of their marriage. The body of the cup is plain, but the base has intricate mouldings dominated by a triad of mythical creatures holding various coats of arms. The central figure is a dragon that represents the dragon on the Welsh flag and consequently the Prince of Wales himself. The dragon holds the royal coat of arms of Windsor, including the English three lions, Scottish single lion and Irish harp. The central coat of arms is that of Wales and the crown signifies royalty. The dragon has three prongs around his neck called argents. Argents were a 13th century symbol that was originally found on the shields of the king's sons and was later reserved for the eldest son. The Griffin to the right represents the Spencer family who had long been aristocratic allies of the royal family. Griffins are creatures rife with both secular and religious meanings. They have the body, tail and back legs of a lion, and the head, wings and front feet of an eagle. The creature is a fusion between the animals that are considered to be king of the land and sky, making it an especially powerful and majestic creature. Ironically, Griffins are also symbolic of the church's opposition to remarriage, as griffins mated for life and remained loyal even if their partner died. The Spencers' family crest is held by the griffin. The third and final creature is a phoenix, which represents the Dean and Chapter House here at St Paul's. The phoenix rises from the flames, which is a symbol that has been synonymous with St Paul's since it was destroyed in the Great Fire of London and later rebuilt by Wren the phoenix looks towards the house of windsor whilst carrying the dean's shield of two cross swords with a d in the center the overall effect of the goblet is one of unification and collective strength both individually and even more so as a whole Aww.